This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this, uh, for this good news. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you, Father, for the promises of eternal life, gift of salvation in Christ. Um, We're just thankful, Lord, that in this world, the things that we face, um, we're always in your care. And it's a win-win situation in that whatever comes, you're in control and Lord, um, when we leave this place, it's to forever be with You. We're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the comforting work of Your Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, tonight as we uh, look at this passage, Lord, we continue to ask for understanding. Please grant that we may grasp uh, the truths You have intended for us here Use these things, Lord, uh, as You've intended to draw us closer to Yourself, to give, give us a, a better understanding of You and Your will, and to increase our love for You and trust in You and our love for one another. Again, we thank You. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any any questions from this morning? Um, or, you know, I try, as I've mentioned before, try to give opportunity from time to time in case there's, there's something uh, uh, burning in your mind there uh, about something maybe that we've covered. So, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. For a Christian, that's the ultimate healing. 
Amen. Amen. And, you know, regardless of the circumstances on how we leave here, <laughs> the perfect peace is there. Uh, some Christians have died agonizing uh, deaths, either, either because of uh, some kind of illness or because of persecution or something along those lines. But, but uh, then enter into the joy of the Lord. <laughs> so, amen. What a blessed promise. Um, let's pick up uh, where we left off this morning. Um, Matthew 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, He went away from there, and coming to His own hometown, He taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own, in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Is it possible to uh, see and, and not believe? Um, you know, we, we, we have the old saying, right? The old cliche, seeing is believing. And that's pretty much, uh, at least naturally speaking, that's pretty much what we tend to live by. You know, show me. Everybody's uh, kind of like uh, the Missouri state, right? Isn't that right? Show, the show me state. <laughs> see, seeing is believing. But is it possible to it, see and not believe? Is seeing really believing? If, if we're talking about seeing a demonstration... If we're talking about seeing something with our physical eye, is that necessarily really believing? I'm, I'm told, you know, and uh, probably uh, somebody like Zachary would know more about this than me. I've never taken uh, a uh, college psychology class, but I'm told that they can pretty much convince you you're not here. And uh, I mean, I've heard some of that demonstrated, but not in a class. And, or they can show you something, set an object before you, and by the time you know these guys leave that classroom, have everybody pretty much in doubt that that, uh, in this case, let's say that bench over there, that that bench doesn't exist. Um. So they, you know, have people even doubting their own senses, and this this has has been <laughs> has been a strange. Uh, not altogether invalid, but a, a strange part of philosophy down through the years. Um, you know, we, we can't even trust our own senses. So it may be that this whole thing is an illusion, right? And we're not even here at all. So even, even the world um, sometimes says seeing is not necessarily believing. In other words, seeing is not, doesn't necessarily mean you're dealing with reality. But what about... 
spiritual things. I mean, if you see, I remember hearing a, a, a preacher that I used to like to listen to years ago. Um, it's Mr. Long, so I've heard him. I wouldn't know whether to recommend him or not. I know, I know he preached good on some some things. I mean, he he was definitely uh, that was Lester Lester Roloff, uh, and and I think he definitely had a uh, from what I read and heard had a good ministry going with drug addicts and things of that nature. People of you know involved in those kinds of things. But I remember him saying one time that if if I could just show, if I could just give people a glimpse of hell. The reality of it. They would repent. And I remember thinking about the various times in the book of Revelation, for example, where God is pouring out His wrath. And we have this testimony. They would not repent. You know, they reviled God and would not Repent. What about on the positive side? If if you could just see a demonstration of the love of God, of the love of Christ. I mean, that's been one of the big arguments, you know, coming from the agnostic and atheistic camps. Is there's just not enough evidence? I mean, if this God is real, if He's really good. We don't see it. You know, there's, there's, we, what we look around and see is a lot of bad things happening in the world. They even use the term evil sometimes. What we, what we see is a lot of bad going on, so there cannot be a good God. Of course, you know, you need, we need to ask them at that point, how, why do you define anything as bad? You know? But that's, that's another, another story. Uh, I mean, if you don't have God, you have, you have no basis for morality. You have no way of defining anything as good or bad. But if God would just demonstrate His goodness, I mean, He'd give us a sign like we talked about last week. Remember the Jews were telling Jesus, show us a sign. Don't keep us in doubt. Show us a sign. If we see, that's, that's the, the implication. If we see, we'll believe. And yet, repeatedly in the Gospel, we've got examples of people who are seeing. And talk about the demonstration of God's love. What about Him sending His Son into the world, uh, laying aside His own glory, taking on ridicule, persecution? What about Him doing that for us? What about the signs that we are seeing as we move through the Gospel? Blind having sight given to them. Or deaf having their ears open. People having demons cast out of them. There's evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence. And we still run across passages like this. And as I pointed out before, this, this has been the primary focus in, from Matthew 11 through the end of chapter 13, where we are now. The opposition to Jesus. And Matthew has just given us repeated examples here. Everything from the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to this kind of talk that we just read here. Um, or these people are 
Jesus' hometown people and they say, you know, isn't this Mary's son and Joseph's son and aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Where does this man get these things? But they keep seeing and they keep seeing and yet they're not seeing in the sense of believing. So seeing, that is seeing with a physical eye, seeing evidence before you is not necessarily believing. Let me just go back in this same chapter here for a moment. Jesus makes a reference to this kind of blindness. He's asked in verse 10 by His disciples, Why do you speak to them in parables? And He said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given, or has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Do you see the different ways that uh, the Scripture uses the term hear or see? In one sense, he's talking about hearing with a physical ear or, or seeing with a physical eye. And then in another sense, when he says see, he means to perceive or understand. He has that defined right here in the text. They do not understand, verse 13. So, in other words, they see, but they don't see. They see with a physical eye, but they don't see in the sense of understanding. And he quotes Isaiah's prophecy, You will indeed hear, but never understand. So, there again, two different kinds of hearing. Hearing, but not hearing. And again, the second... Uh, referring to understanding. You will indeed see, but never perceive. So you have it again. See, but not see. So in other words, see, but not believe. Or hear, but not believe. Not perceive. Not understand. The evidence is there, and the evidence is sufficient. The problem's in the observer. Not in the evidence. The problem's in the hearer. It's a hearing defect, as it were. Not, not physically, but spiritually. Jesus says, their heart's grown dull. And the Lord says that through Isaiah. Jesus quotes it. Their heart's grown dull. It's, it's a heart problem. This, this kind of seeing, this kind of hearing or perceiving or understanding is a heart matter. It's not just, not just hearing with the ear. It's hearing with the heart. The very core of one's being. It's the, it's the center of who you are. It, it is who you really are. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
It, it reveals what's really in the person. The mouth is a, is a window, as it were, to the heart. So it's, it's a heart matter. That's, that's where this kind of, I know it sounds strange, but this kind of hearing defect is, is deeper than the physical ear. It's, it's in the heart. This kind of sight impairment is, is not uh, in the physical eye. It's in, it's in the heart. So it's possible to see with the physical eye or hear with the physical ear and yet not perceive and understand and believe. Now, I think I want to take that just a little bit further here by going to a different text. Um, and we'll come back to this in a moment. Let's see. Go with me to John chapter 8. And hold your place in Matthew here. Hopefully I won't be confusing here, but I'm, but I'm just trying to show a little bit of the different ways the words are used with the different nuances. Because even the word belief doesn't always carry the same meaning. And the word belief, incidentally, is the same as the word faith. But when you, so when you talk about faith, you're talking about believing, or vice versa. When you talk about believing, you're talking about faith. But there are different kinds of faith. We're not always talking about Saving faith, and I think I can show you from here, the Scripture doesn't even always use the word in that way. So, again, just like it's you can see but not perceive, or that is have faith, trust in Christ. And by the way, what I would define as saving faith is trust in Christ. Trust and to the point that you, you, you cast yourself upon Him at His mercy. Trust in Him for forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. It's, it's a trust that manifests in o- obedience. It's a surrender to Christ. So, there is a sense in which you could say, for example, a person has... You, you demonstrate, uh, and I really do mean you here because I'm not with you on this one for the most part. You demonstrate faith in an airplane when you get on an airplane. <laughs> I mean, I may get on one, but I don't have a lot of faith in them. Um, and to some extent, you're demonstrating faith in that pilot. And his skill, his ability. So, there, there's a sense in which that, that's a pretty fair description of Faith. I mean, because again, we're ta- that's again we're talking about trust. You know, I trust whoever manufactured that plane and the mechanics that do the maintenance on it, and I trust the pilot. So, to some degree, that's a pretty good description of faith. It is a description of faith, but it's not really a description of what we mean by saving faith. It, it, our biblical faith goes beyond that. Then we're talking about trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And I like 
you know, to describe faith. I like the old analogy. You probably heard it because it's old and everybody, everybody's heard it. But you know, the the, the guy on the on the uh, tightrope that walks, you know, between the the uh, skyscrapers, and he's pushing a wheelbarrow wheelbarrow from one side to the other, and he comes comes back with it, and and uh, this guy standing by watching says says that is truly amazing, you know, and. And, uh, and then somebody asks, now you get in the wheelbarrow and he'll push you back across and back. And, and he, he had faith for the guy to do that, with, you know, himself in the wheelbarrow, but he didn't have faith enough in the guy's skill to get in the wheelbarrow and be pushed across, back and forth across. That's a whole different kind of faith. Trust. That's to the extreme. We've got to go to the extreme with Christ. John 8.31. Pay attention to the word faith here, or believe. Believe. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him. Now that's pretty clear, right? Now, now we're obviously definitely talking about biblical faith, right? Salvific in nature. That is saving faith. Let's look, the, I mean, this is the inspired inerrant word. Look at what the author writes here. Jesus said... To the Jews who had believed in Him. Now, Jesus definitely gives a description here of saving faith that manifests in obedience, like we were talking about a moment ago. This is what Jesus says to them. To the Jews that believed in Him. If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now listen to their response. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, who's he talking to? Hmm? The Jews who believed in him. Verse 31. So do you see what I'm saying? Even the word faith or belief doesn't always necessarily mean saving faith even in the Scripture. Saving faith is described in verse 31 in the words of Jesus. Abide in My Word. It's talking about a life of submission and obedience to His will there. If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Not just if you... Give some kind of mental sin. Are you here with a physical ear? Or see with a physical eye? Or are you do like the, the Jews in Matthew and you're you're astounded at the you know, you're astounded at his knowledge, you're astounded at the things that he's saying, and you're saying to yourself, Where did this guy get these things? Or like in in uh, Luke 
4, which was also in Nazareth, in, in Matthew 13, we're in Nazareth, his hometown. And in Luke 4, was also in Nazareth. They marveled at the gracious words that flowed from his lips. And then they tried to kill him. Just like here. He's speaking to the Jews who believe in him. And then the next thing you know, he says, you seek to kill me. And it's because my word finds no place in you. If you're my disciple, you abide in my word, Jesus says. And you'll know the truth. Because His Word is truth. And because He is truth. You abide in my Word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But you're a slave to sin. That's implied in verse 34. And so then He says, verse 37, My Word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. (laughs) They answered Him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing, notice the doing, abide in my word. He's talking about doing the will of God. And if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, or the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. Now, where's Jesus going with this? They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, which is probably probably an, uh, an accusation against him because... They may know the situation. Mary's pregnancy while betrothed. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of My own accord, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is, and notice the word understand there. Remember Matthew 13, hearing, they, they hear, but they don't understand. You do not understand what I say. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. The contrast there is, your, your desire is to do the will of your father, the devil, rather than to do the will of God. That is, to abide in my word, to do the works of Abraham, to do God's will. You're of your father, the devil, verse 44. Who's he talking to? Well, verse 31 tells us, the Jews who had believed in him. So how is he how is he calling saved people children of the devil? Well, he's not. Cuz they saw but they didn't see. Or we could even say it this way, they believed but they didn't believe. 
They were hearing, but they weren't hearing. Well, in, in what sense were they believing? Probably just in the, in the sense that, I mean, they saw miracles that He was doing and they, they understood that He's doing those things and they, they perhaps were giving Him credit for that. Some even believed that He was the Messiah. They wanted to make Him king. But, you know, believing all of that with basically their own definitions of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is about, and not really accepting His own testimony about Himself and about God and about God's will and about their spiritual condition. And I think that's what we see here in Matthew 13 also. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, coming to his own or coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, "Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works?" And they were hearing, they were seeing, they were astonished at his teaching. At at times they acknowledged that he taught with authority. You know, they were astonished for that reason. He he teaches as one having authority, and not as not as the scribes. Or they perceived, as I mentioned earlier, in probably this same synagogue. Uh, in uh, I doubt that Nazareth had more than one. Probably in this same synagogue in Luke four, they perceived and were marvelled, marveling at the gracious words coming out of his lips. They they were hearing. They're acknowledging that something's different about this man, something special about this man. But they weren't really hearing. They weren't really seeing. In fact, in this case, you know, they, they begin to try to rationalize it all away. There's kind of a and this may be another danger to, to, to think about. There's kind of a over-familiarity here. We know this Jesus, and, well, we know Him better than He knows Himself. We know who He is. Isn't this Mary's son? Are not His brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas... This, these are people in Jesus' hometown. They, they watched Him grow up. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that amazing that they could see Him day in and day out, the sinless Son of God? Now, I know they didn't understand that He was the Son of God. In fact, that's my point. They didn't understand that He was the Son of God. But just, just think for a moment about His sinlessness that they were exposed to on a daily basis. Wouldn't wouldn't that wouldn't that open the eyes? Wouldn't that open the ears? Wouldn't that 
turn some lights on. But that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, we're good as human beings. We're good at just kind of rationalizing things away. We're good, with, especially with things. And this is one of the dangers of, I think, of, of, of one of the unique dangers, might be unique to us, who, who live and grow up in the Bible Belt. The over-familiarity with the Gospel. We, we know what it's about. We know what it's all about. I mean, we think we do, but we have a lot of... Presuppositions. I remember when 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 Leslie and I first uh, came to the Lord. You know, the Lord saved us, and uh, as time was moving on there, uh, well, I was I was amazed in a lot of ways. You know what 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 God was doing in us, but as, you know as as time rolled along, and I I found myself. And, I'm, and this is, I'm sure, you know, still going on. But I, I found myself having to spend a lot of time unlearning things. And, you know, there were certain truths maybe that, that we would discover in the Scripture and that we would talk about. And I'm thinking... Wow, this is just opposite of the way I've been thinking. I've, you know, raised basically in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, right? In a Christian state, in a Christian nation, <laughs> right? In the Bible Belt of all places. And I've got all these misconceptions. And Leslie would, you know, basically confront a lot of the same truths. With little problem. In other words, she was learning it the right way for the first time. I mean, she's she's studying the Word and, and hearing God speak for the first time and learning it right the first time. And I'm having to undo damage that's been done because of misconceptions. Or the Lord was undoing it, but uh, it was an added challenge. And these, these people think they, they know all about Jesus. They think they know who He is. They think they know where He came from. They think they know what He's about. And frankly, they're not... It's kind of like uh, Joseph's brothers. They're, they're not all that crazy about the idea of being submitted to Him. Now, what's so special about, about Him? What about what about my will? What about my desires? And anyway, where did he get all this stuff? I mean, he's just one of us. They they were astonished, but they they couldn't help but be astonished at the things that Jesus was doing. Think about it. You know, the miracles that they had heard about, probably witnessed many. And if they hadn't witnessed any miracles, they still they are hearing Him speak. And no man ever spoke like this before. 
And yet they could do all this. I mean, they, they, they could see Him, hear Him, be astonished at Him. And yet with all of that, take offense at Him. Verse 57. And they took offense at Him. I mean, all, all of this evidence that you would think would bring them to their knees. Instead, was a stumbling block for them. And that's literally what the word means there. To cause to stumble, offense. It's where we get our word scandal or scandalized. They were scandalized at Him. Isn't that amazing? Remember the story we talked about a while back? Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac. And then, you know, the, the townspeople came out there to the uh, cemetery. And they saw the man sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they saw what happened to the herd of swine. And they all fell on their knees and worshipped Jesus. No. They begged Him to get out of their country. They were scandalized. The, the real, it's kind of like here, the real Jesus was not the one they were interested in. This is not the agenda they had in mind. So Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, in his own household. And that, that really is generally true of the whole nation of Israel. I mean, there Jesus is in his own home, among his own kin. And at least generally speaking, without honor. And it seems to be, that truth seems to be even amplified, of course, here in Nazareth. It's, it's the very, this is, what, this is just what amazes me about it. It's the very people that you would expect the opposite from. I mean, when he goes up to, I don't know, you pick any little town, Capernaum or Bethsaida or even into Jerusalem, when he goes up there maybe for the first town, he's, he's basically a stranger. But in Nazareth, everybody knows him. These are the very people you would expect just the opposite from. I mean, they've seen him. They ought to embrace him. In verse 58, and this is, I'm going to close quickly here with this, but this is just, uh, an amazing statement. He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So the fact that they saw and they heard, and even the fact that they were astonished, like he says in verse 54, You know, they were marveling at his works and at his knowledge. None of that meant that they truly believed. They did, they did not trust him. The Jews in John 8, the Jews who believed in him didn't really believe in him. If you know what I'm saying? They did not trust him, love him, obey him. 
And so here Jesus is going from town to town, moving all around the countryside here, doing all of these things. And in his own hometown, he did not do many mighty works there. Mark says it this way, he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Which seems to me, I, I don't think God is limited in any way. I don't think Jesus is limited in any way. In fact, we, I, we could point to other cases where Jesus does do mighty works in the midst of unbelief, it seems. I mean, there's some passage you, you could go to and, you know, Jesus will say, um, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And you might, you might get the impression, well, okay, it's because they had faith. But then, what are you going to do with people like Lazarus that were totally incapable of exercising faith? So, so was he really limited by their unbelief? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I know, and again, in Mark, it especially sounds that way, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Limited, yes, but it's, a, it's self-limited. Like is implied here, he did not do many mighty works there. In other words, what I'm saying is I, I, would, I would perceive it to be a form of, of judgment. The evidence is in and the verdict is wrong. Here's the evidence, the Son of God. Here's the evidence, the works, the words. And here's the verdict. We know you. You just just marry a son. You're just son of Joseph, the carpenter. The verdict's wrong. I don't remember why I had mentioned this verse, I don't know, a few months back. And, and uh, uh, Brother Carl and I were talking about it after the service. And, and the way he kind of paraphrased it more or less was like this. It's almost like Jesus is saying, if, if, you, if you don't believe all that you see right here, then I can't help you. That's a good way to paraphrase it, I think. Because, in other words, there's nowhere else to go. And if you, not, if you don't trust Christ, then what other hope do you have? So, no, seeing is not necessarily believing. Believing, saving faith involves submission. Commitment, obedience, abide in my word, keep my commandments, do the will of the Father. Love, it involves love for Jesus, love for God. Seeing, agreeing, believing in the sense they did in John 8 is not necessary necessarily believing in the saving sense. One more thing and I'm done. Remember again, this is in the context of Jesus, I've mentioned this several times, Jesus speaking to the religious 
crowd. Even here, he's in the synagogue speaking to the religious crowd. You've got all the appearance of believing, but they're rejecting the true Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we again thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the work of Your Spirit in opening our eyes to these things, bringing us to the knowledge of the truth, giving life to us. Thank You for Your grace. We pray, Lord, use us for Your honor and glory. May we be disciples indeed, that is, in truth, abiding in Your Word, knowing the truth, and walking in the freedom it brings. For Your honor and glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.